0: Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor
1: of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com.
2: I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
3: Love Bites is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now and I'll make out with your face for it.
2: Save the world.
3: Welcome to Love Bites, coming at you live from Heritage Radio Network. Today is Monday, July 11th. I'm your host, Jacqueline Raposo. I write about people who make food. You can find me at wordsfoodart.com. I'm 34 straight and single. And now is the time when Ben would normally chime in that he is 33 straight and not single anymore. Mm-hmm. But Ben blew his back out this weekend, having nothing to do with his new girlfriend. Uh, but he was being a good son and helping his mother move up in Boston. So he is laid up today. Banny, I love you. I miss you. I'm sending you healing vibes and energy. Rest up, and we can't wait to have you back next week. Uh, But today I'm joined in the studio by our guests, Laura Gosheff and Julia Peterson. We're going to change things up and have them on the entire show with us since Ben is not here. And I think the topic we're going to discuss gives us plenty to talk about. Uh, So Laura is the founder and executive director of the Living Lotus Project and the writer-director of their current show, Phoenix Rising, Girls and the Secrets We Keep which is playing through this weekend at the Lion Theater on 42nd Street here in New York. Julia is a core member of Living Lotus and one of Phoenix Rising's six actors. After the break, we're going to discuss Phoenix Rising specifically and their experiences bringing the stories of abuse against women and girls to the stage. But for the first half of our show, we're going to have a roundtable discussion on violence against women in general. So to start out, welcome to Heritage Radio, you guys. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you it's so a much. Yes. So to start out... Um, Why don't we each share how we as women in New York City experience the threat of violence or sexual violence in our everyday lives? This is obviously something you guys have explored in your In Her Shoes video campaign, which I totally recommend you guys go to our Facebook page to find links to that. So let's just start out with talking about how we experience the threat of physical violence on a daily basis as women. Who'd like to start out? (laughs)
1: <laughs> they're both, they're okay, both pointing okay, at each then. other.
3: Yeah, Julia, why don't you start us off?
0: I mean, every day there's catcalling. That's constant. Right. I feel like that's inevitable, and I hate to say that. To say that something's inevitable, that makes you feel at fear for... The actions of someone else is daunting.
3: Yeah, it's like the, just the potential for action. Yes. That is always looming from being spoken to by strangers. That
0: there's a risk, and we don't know what that risk necessarily is that's involved. But if you feel threatened, there's a point where how do I take control for that? Mm. How do I take back? my own voice, my own body, um, because it's not my eyes looking at me, it's someone else's eyes looking at me. I see it all the time, not just with myself, but other women on the street.
3: Well, and the problem with responding to that, I have found, is that it doesn't always uh, get you the response by a man of like, oh, I'm sorry, that is inappropriate. It usually escalates very quickly into being called a dirty word. Um, or to ha- or to being laughed at or to being told ah, like lighten up it doesn't yeah. often yeah. produce any real change so do you even say anything or do you ignore and move on you know I mean I just have to say Laura has brought
0: in this beautiful scene into our show regarding the de-escalation that women take on so that they can remove themselves from those situations where they don't Uh, necessarily take control,
3: but move away. Yeah, we minimize the fact that something is happening rather than just facing it or trying to move past it.
1: I will say I had an experience recently. Um, There's a construction site that I have to walk by every day to get to the office. And the guys are generally with me, uh, very respectful. Um, And I think because I'm in my 50s, I have a different experience than you ladies do. In my 30s, I want our I had... listeners
3: to know that Laura does not look like she's in her 50s. Though, mm-hmm. if I could have her skin right now in my 30s, I would be a happier woman. I just want to let you guys know
1: that. But, but I, I, you know, I experienced the same things you did in your 30s. So, uh, there was a day when I was. Uh, on my way to work and the guys were hanging out on their cigarette break and a very pretty girl in a very short skirt walked by and uh they didn't say anything directly to her but not 10 feet after she passed one of them started barking (laughs) and and i when i walked by i just looked at him and i said down boy and all of his friends laughed and gave it a hard, gave him a hard time. But at that moment, I have to say, I felt very empowered by that moment because I didn't, I didn't just put my head down, which would have been my habit in order to deescalate the situation. But I was able to put some humor in it. The guys found it funny as well, and so. But there was a little teeny lesson in a speaking up, and and b doing it with humor, so that nobody was humiliated. Right. Because shame brings out the worst in people Absolutely. if you shame someone. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I think there are ways to de-escalate the situation, um, which is what we're always looking for, unfortunately, because I would rather erase it. Right. You know, I would rather have it not be there and have a woman not be objectified simply by what she's wearing or what she looks like or the fact that she's a woman, period. But... Well, and I don't know about you guys, but part of my
3: problem is that it doesn't seem, and this should be no excuse anyway, but one thing I learned very quickly after moving to New York is it does not matter what I am wearing. No. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. time of day it is. I get talked to mostly when I'm wearing gym clothes, which I wear being a writer who works from home when I walk my dog. I'm wearing sweatpants and a tank top. It doesn't matter if it's eight o'clock in the morning and I'm walking my dog or if it's one in the morning and I'm coming back from the bar. And so the problem is like I run through, I find myself walking the streets running through ideas of what to say the next time it happens and Mm -hmm. I've never landed upon the perfect thing and so what you bring up I think is in a way more poignant and makes more of a point that when when we're not the one in the situation it's easier to step in to see it happening to another woman and yeah. stepping in and again not not shaming right. the person doing it but it's sort of we've got eyes on you yes. that it's not just because the woman who was in the short dress and walked past was not the one who said something it doesn't mean that it's okay to do it because we what we, we're watching out for each other right
1: and that that definitely speaks to Uh, the bystander intervention that is absolutely Mm. essential it must happen in the world because when I was growing up in the 70s the I am my brother's keeper was something that we lived with it was something you know yeah it was a little uh airy fairy and there was a (laughs) lot of love and free love and there was actually a lot more sexual assault in the 70s than there is now but at the same time, if somebody saw something that they, that they perceived to be a problem, they stepped in.
3: Right. Well, and that's something that generations did, too, is the idea that your, you know, your grandmother figure who lived down the block was watching you, and, and right. adults could step in. Now it's, it's, we sort of have this culture where it's inappropriate to talk to somebody else's child about how they are behaving. Well, going on to the idea of we're all watching you, how would I find it really hard to sort of figure out how I'd want men to step in. Um, before the show, I'd mentioned how one day a neighbor followed someone following me home from the subway. I wasn't realizing that a man followed me. And this kid, who if we were to stereotype, you'd would be one of the kids you might cross the street to avoid, just mm-hmm. because you know I, I love the neighborhood that I live in, but it's the kind of neighborhood that we stereotype men more so than we do white businessmen. Um, but this guy who lives in my building, which is a huge misnomer, which is a huge misnomer huge. to begin with. But yeah. yeah, so but it's he had watched another man following me home from the subway and I was standing outside talking and I did not know that this was happening but he sort of delayed coming into the building until I got off my phone and started walking in and as I did said did you know that man I saw him following you home and he's half you know he's one house one apartment building down watching you and it made me so thankful that I had this kid as a Mm -hmm. neighbor because I'm pretty you know I'm aware of my surroundings in New York but this is my neighborhood I'm on the phone in front of my building and so we always have to be watchful, but I was so grateful to him. And you better believe that now every time I see him, I give him an extra smile and, right. you know, and I engage with him even more. So what would you say in any sort of, you know, situation, how would you want to see more men reacting um, and, and, and stepping in just interrupting? Um, even if it's just a joke, just to say, listen, I don't
0: agree with that. Uh, it could be your sister. It could be your mother. It could be your daughter. Uh, just to raise the level of awareness because that man who spoke to you he is an interrupter and he's empowered enough to do that and that's mm. what we need to do. We need to empower not just the women but the men. It's, it's a spectrum. Um, it's not just one or the other. It's all together. We rise.
1: I think, too, uh, if you if you look at a scenario where a woman is sitting at a bar and she's being harassed by a guy, typically she's going to be very polite. She's not going to make a lot of noise. She's going to try and back away from him. And and I think an onlooker, especially a male onlooker, would look over and think there's nothing wrong there. And so it's it's hard to determine for them, I suppose, when you know, when to intercede, but even just the question, even just the simple question, are, are you okay? okay? Yeah, That's it. I mean, that's where it starts. If she says, yes, I'm fine. Then okay. Then he's, he's sort of off the hook. But if she says, you know, I'd really, you know, or no, just a simple, no, I'm not okay. He can then enter intervene on her behalf and say, Hey, bud, take a walk, you know, leave her alone. She doesn't want you here. And it's, and it, it is, I don't think our culture is set up like that. It's not set up so that, you know, people feel... Well, I think also we're so disconnected as a society that they don't feel the sense of community. Mm. Like you said, the grandmother stepping in. That sense of community has fallen away. And I think, you know, worldwide, we need to get that sense of community back so that we can look at each other and say, she looks like she's in trouble. Maybe I should find out if she's okay. It's such a simple question. Why do you think men
3: don't do that more often than they do? Because one thing, I mean, people can say whatever they want about New York City. I find that men actually... It's so uplifting when I I'm having a, the beginning of a weird exchange on the subway and the guy next to me just elbows me slightly and nods. So I just know that he's paying attention.
1: Yeah.
3: And again, that just means the world to me. But why don't... But on the flip side, something can be happening between two men on the subway and I feel like I'm the only one about to step in mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a lot of men won't. Like People just sort of get very afraid or embarrassed. Why do you think more men don't step in? What's holding them back from... From being more vocal.
0: I mean, one of the things is I think it's a woman's problem. Mm. Uh, and, I, and Laura can go on. I love what she has to say about this. Um, because really, truly, um, the abuser is perpetuating the problem. So we don't need to ask the questions about the person who's being abused. We have to ask the question about the person who's doing the abusing. Um, the person who's violating someone else's space. And if we see that... We, as bystanders, have the right to speak out. And if someone else sees it and sees the bystanders afraid, they too have the right to speak out. The more people that come together, the stronger we are.
1: But I, I think, too, uh, there's a fear of violence, even, mm-hmm. even perpetuated against the guy. I mean, we have stories uh, where a guy steps in and, and calls somebody on the street, who, you know, when a cat call is happening and a guy steps in and gets shot and killed Mm. or tries to prevent a rape and gets shot. So there, there is a physical danger. And I, and I definitely want to spend time exploring safe ways for people to intervene. But it, but it is true that numbers make a difference. And if, you know, there are five people standing around saying, Hey, that's not cool then Then, it does make a difference, and I think on the societal level, I actually recently heard of a an island in the Philippines where no man would consider um, perpetuating violence against a woman or raping them because they would be so humiliated by the culture itself that they would be an outcast for not being able to be part of the community mm. and so you know I, I think that there's there 's a societal uh, perpetuation. In the silence, in the bystanding um, and and also in our conditioning that we do of men of what it is to be a man, we, we need to redefine what those things are and and we are in that place of transition right now where guys are trying to figure it out and girls are trying to figure out yeah gender
3: roles and norms are so much blurrier now absolutely well as somebody who grew up in the in the 70s as you say Mm -hmm. um what do you think are what is what is something that we're not as far along with that we might like to hope we are
1: well unfortunately um i'm talking to 14 15 and 16 year old girls who are still having the exact same experiences I had, like what in the seventies, like being raped, sexually assaulted, or just you know somebody feeling like it's okay to grab your ass on the train or mm. um, talk to you as if you're a piece of meat. Um, I wonder how technology has affected
3: that. As far as the whole like the Snapchat and the social like, I, I'm shocked with the kinds of pictures I see young girls putting up. The whole like shots taken from above and the pout and the sort of boobs that you see that are. It happens. I mean, I don't take those, <laughs> and so the fact that I'm seeing children taking yeah, those and yeah. girls taking those and that it's. But that, and, and that their like, parents aren't. That, yeah. that there's no conversation around how but there's a societal which, again,
1: expectation. That's the media. And, and the that problem is, is too, all
3: around think. is the oversexualization of women, in
0: the yeah. media has just right. existed for thousands and thousands of years. I mean, as far back as we can go.
3: And it's the kind of thing where I don't want to say that because those images are happening, it should equate to like, oh, well, you know, girls are, are showing this. And so therefore, well, here's this, you know, here's why you know, like the whole idea of the, the you know, she does she exist. put that out there. Yeah. So I don't want to say that. And also I don't want to repress sexuality. Yeah. But if you are 13, 14 years old and those are the images you're putting out there on the Internet of yourself,
1: but there at the is same time, a conversation are, to be had. They want to know there's
0: other options, too. They don't know that they have those other options. Those are their role models, though. right?
1: They're comp- being their role models. Right. They're, you know, like if... I I I wish that they were idolizing Madeleine Albright and <laughs> yes. Gloria Steinem, but it's but Kim
3: Kardashian. It, it yeah. is, or I, mean, I don't know if that's if she's even too old for thirteen fourteen. There's probably, there's probably a younger equivalent <laughs> of the, that.
1: Is there, but, is there a Kylie
0: or <laughs> a Kelly Kylie Jenner? Or,
1: yeah, a Jenner, uh, who's yeah. like
0: mm-hmm. company just got an F from the Better
3: Beer. Oh no!
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if if that's their idea of a role model, and they're copying that. Then then it's on us, really, to give them other options. Yes. Those are the actors, the
0: stakeholders, the people of power. We need to see them being better leaders.
3: Well, you just mentioned power, and I read um, an article about uh, Vice President Joe Biden's mm-hmm. um, speech to the Women's Summit recently, where he said something a like, lot. I'm paraphrasing, but said, like, uh, I don't actually should not paraphrase since I've got the note here somewhere. Um, but he said that. It's ultimately about the abuse of power. It's Mm. all about power, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, "Well, the the at the base level, the power men have is physical. That at it doesn't matter what any other part of this man's world, in general, like I'm a five foot two woman. Like most men, can other five foot two men can easily physically outpower me. So my thought was, well, if that's the base level of power for a man, does that mean that women should be more? prepared physically to fight back. And I was thinking about a self-defense class I took 10 years ago where part of the trick, and it was all women, and part of the trick that we were taught was actually when you are being held against your will, once you're in this sort of position, you relax your body to show that in a way you are giving up fighting because then it gives you the leverage to do, like then the man will generally relax a little bit and that gives you the leverage to do this specific move for different circumstances back. And it was a really interesting thing to think about because, oh yeah, the harder you fight, the usually the harder somebody's fighting back against mm-hmm. you. If you try to retaliate physically, it often escalates that level of violence like we were speaking about before. So what do you guys think about that as far as a woman physically defending herself? Should well, women be taught... To physically defend themselves I,
1: I think I think it can't hurt to feel confident about your ability to defend yourself but if you look at the military and understand that right. these women yeah. are just are trained combat soldiers, they are still being raped. So, I mean, I don't think you get any better training to defend yourself or to be even offensive than you do in the military. And at the same time, this is still a huge issue there. Right. And again, because it's part of the culture, too. It's part of the idea
3: that the military is a family and that you don't Mm. speak about certain things in the same way that in our real lives but but also
0: institutions that's the Catholic Church that's uh, those Penn State I mean we're looking at institutions that have power that are saying it's okay we're gonna put
3: it over here and that's
1: not even about gender right those institutions are not even about gender because because little boys exactly little boys are getting raped just as easily as little girls are and then who are those men going those little boys going to become right right Well,
3: I have like a billion other questions that I would want to ask you guys, but we have to take a break. Um, So before we do so, uh, Heritage Radio makes it really easy for us to come in here every week and produce Love Bites. And as a nonprofit station, we survive on grants, underwriting, and member donations. So right now, I'd love to invite our listeners to join us as members of Heritage Radio Network. Uh, We're doing a summer membership drive right now through July 22nd. You can donate anything you like, but we'd love you to donate at least $60 for the year. That's our base membership, uh, which you can do in one lump some, or in a payment plan, and there are incentives for larger donations, there are business deals where we'll give you commercials and things like that. Um, and yeah, Ben is now taken, but I will make out with you if you email <laughs> us at lovebitesradio@gmail.com and say that you made... I might have to put a minimum on that, but I haven't thought through completely, so right now you're you're in the free zone. Um, so yeah, Ooh. so head to <laughs> heritageradio.network.org, click on that beating heart, toss your donation in, and make sure you mark that it was Love Bites who sent you. So now we're going to take a, qu- a quick sponsor break, and we'll be back to talk about phoenix rising
2: hello out there it's steve jenkins i'm with fairway markets white leghorn red wattle bourbon red navajo churro Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a fairway butcher counter or any other counter today. But before the rise of factory farming, you would have. And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's heritage turkey, Japanese steaks, Berkshire pork, or Navajo churro lamb chops is the righteous kind from healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at heritagefoodsusa.com for more information.
3: Phoenix Rising, Girls and the Secrets We Keep displays the stories of five high school girls and their counselor working through issues like sexuality, self-worth, inherited addiction, and finding family. If you're just joining us, we have writer-director Laura Goshev and actor Julia Peterson in the studio with us today. Phoenix Rising runs through this weekend at the Lion Theater on 42nd Street here in New York City, and you can find more at www.phoenixrisingtheplay.org as well as on our website, lovebitesradio.com. So, welcome back, ladies. (laughs) So, now let's talk about... uh, Your play. So, Laura, starting off, why did you start an an organization, Living Lotus Project, to bring the stories of violence against girls and women to light through theater? Was there not that? Did you find that that was sort of not available or not fully explored?
1: Um, I I think even on a theater level, most stories, most directors, most... uh, actors are men and so mm. there are very few stories written by women about women produced um, by women directed by, by women absolutely yeah. it, it's a it's a rare thing and uh, and frankly i find it a rare pr- privilege to mm. be able to be part of that and we had a great design team um, we have a, an amazing cast uh, all women which is rare it's an it's another thing you know and we don't spend i think we there, there's a Oh, I should know this, <laughs> but there's a, a test that you have to pass. Black test. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, we pass with flying
3: oh, colors. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, n- listeners, that's a test where at least there have to be at least two women in lead parts where they have one scene where they talk about something other than a man, other and you, you will be man. shocked at how many movies and books and plays that does not happen where you have two lead females who talk about something. All it has to be is one scene. Yeah. But something where they, they we, don't talk about their boyfriends or their fathers or problems with a guy.
1: Even. Something as crazy as Pocahontas, which is about a woman. Wow. The men have more lines <sighs> right. than Pocahontas yeah. does. So, you know, it's just, like, yeah. So I, th- I felt it was important, and um, it's not something that we've played up that it's a play by a woman about women, all women actors. But I think it makes a big difference because it's a perspective I learned years ago. Um, a, a man actually said, "I didn't know girls thought like that," mm. and I think that perspective is so. Where were the so? So you've got five students who,
3: throughout the course of the play, sort of uh, work with and through specific stories of abuse within their family, or not knowing how to talk to the men and women in their lives, or experiencing abuse themselves. So, as the writer, where did these stories come from?
1: Well, they're all based on real women. Um, some are, are composites and others are straight stories
3: um how do you work with taking those stories and making something theatrical about them what was the process of the and and listeners i should also full disclosure like i've somewhat you know been with laura through this process and i'm now a vice president of living lotus so so i know her but um like what was the process like as far as taking because you can't just tell real story you know real stories mm-hmm. verbatim on a stage they have to sort of fit the medium right so how did you sort of work through well
1: we we've de- i mean i've been working on it for eight years so um and and uh, julia has been with us since 2012 Oh wow. um uh, Time flies. <laughs> um, but, but it's been a process of, you know, workshops and uh, we do readings and then I, you know, I'd go back to the script and rework it. And at one point I had to completely disassemble mm, the entire yeah. play and put it back together in another way, which just sort of opened things up for other possibilities as well. So um, it's, it's been a, f- I actually, it's my favorite process of writing and putting it together. Um, and then being able to you know st- step back and and see if it 's theatrical i've been I was told for years it 's not theatrical you know it's it can only go to a limited number of places and I think now we 've reached that place where it it is theatrical and it does appeal to people who don't necessarily relate to this directly.
3: Now, um, when I when I saw the show last week or two weeks ago, uh, Julia, you'd mentioned before the break the whole de-escalating mm-hmm. portion of it, and that still to me is um, the part that hits me physically when I watch mm-hmm. it. Because, and uh, listeners, so it's a period where the women share something very comment that happened to him he talked to me on the street and I said to this and this happened and we de-escalate the, the violence or the the fear factor to make it seem like it was less of a deal so that we don't have to engage mm-hmm. um, and there are I think a lot of moments that sort of hit women specifically so Julia coming into the project um, how was the process as far as the cast members, talking about their own experiences and either realizing this moment and this visceral feeling in me has a place in this part or where I have to put my own personal experience aside so that I can explore this character. Did you guys discuss that? Oh,
0: I want to say I never really had to put my own experience aside. Uh, Even though my character lives a completely different life with completely different circumstances than myself, um, we share a common human dialogue and a common dialogue being women. And I remember the first time rehearsing Deescalate, and one of the other cast members made some incredible choices. And I just started crying because I was so affected. Uh, and it was just, it wasn't anything over the top. She just was very specific. And I could feel as if this was really happening to her. And I know the feeling of being isolated. And I think many women know that feeling of being isolated. And it is constant in this play, the feeling of isolation and what we do to make ourselves feel okay. Normalize. Uh, Yeah, we normalize, um, whether it's right or not. And those are the questions that I've been you know, bringing up to myself, especially as we do this play. And it's evolved so much over the four years I've been with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what I love, that it takes on a life of its own each time. Laura lets the play tell her what to do. Exactly. Uh, and because of that, we're able to reach a broader audience, we're able to start larger dialogues, um, we're able to bring more uh, substance uh, that has weight to it.
3: On the flip side, how has working with the play for both of you, has it um, changed your empowerment in your everyday life as far as speaking up or talking to other women or like I love my one of my favorite sort of hashtags is I speak my truth. Mm -hmm. Another one is like I found my fire, especially as far as I speak my truth, because Mm -hmm. like you were saying, we normalize this. So how has working on the play sort of flowed into the situations you both face in your offstage lives?
1: Well, certainly for me, it's it's created a situation where I, f- I feel like I speak up now instead of if I hear something that I find is inappropriate or I hear a guy talking... About a woman who's, you know, he's completely objectifying her. I will step in and say, uh, You realize that there's a human being attached to this.
3: And I love how you say human being versus I feel like I sort of just got over saying, like, that could be your mother or your sister because we shouldn't have to justify that this could be. It's just exactly. another human being. So yes. I love how you put it that yeah, way. Yeah,
1: there's a human being attached you know that that it's not about you getting your needs met it should be a very mutual thing and i think i think the the one-sided sense of entitlement creates a, mm. a real problem in terms of and it is our society's conditioning of what it is to be a man again i mean that's something that has to be reexamined and it's and it's something that you know if if i i know it's harder for men to stand up in a group of other men who are speaking disrespectfully and say hey you know dude not cool it's harder because there's a lot of pressure to be with the guys and i get that i do so so i'm happy to step in and and interject and i don't you know, I'm at an age. I don't give a shit
0: if anybody <laughs> calls. I don't me. even give a shit, girl. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm at that point too. Call me yeah. when you need
1: to call me, but I still need to make the point. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I think the raising of awareness. I think it gives other people in the room permission to go. You know what? I don't think that's cool either. Right. You know. So I think I think it's um, it's definitely given me permission to speak up. And it also it's interesting about you know that particular. Uh, part of the play is I get approached by men and women after the show is over who want to share their stories and and I think giving people permission to share their stories is a crucial thing that any piece of theater or or any storytelling can do it's very powerful
0: that's what this play does though it gives permission yeah the permission that we already have it's our it's it's our free will and but you solidify it and you go you have the right to question this yeah. you have the right to stand up for yourself to speak up for what you see we have these senses for a reason and we have to go back to our foundation as a community to hold that together it's like what you said at the beginning before the break you know we are all our brothers keeper our mm-hmm. sisters keeper that's our job
3: Well, and I think also that um, one thing we were talking about before the show, listeners, was just opening up communication and asking questions that often, you know, when somebody's speaking with us, we're filtering out what they're saying. Our brains are doing it. We're not even doing it intentionally. With our own experiences, we want to strive to say, oh, I know how you feel because I, rather than just listening and asking more questions. We
0: compartmentalize. Yeah,
3: we definitely compartmentalize. We definitely judge what we're seeing, how the person speaks, and the experiences that we've had. And I think the play also in opening up that dialogue, seeing other stories that you might not connect with one or if all five characters or their journeys throughout, but there are glimpses of every woman in those situations, mm-hmm. and so it d- definitely inspires sharing your own experience, because there should not be judgment against it, and just sharing what you have gone through.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I had a 50-year-old woman say to me, I have never told anybody that I got raped, and I've told two people in the last two weeks. Mm. So it's, I mean, yay, the conversation is starting to happen. People are not carrying that shame around themselves because that shame doesn't belong to the victim. It belongs to the perpetrator. And it really is something that we need to start doing as a society mm-hmm. to hold them accountable.
0: And we're beginning
3: to, I
1: mean, yes, you see are. it
3: in the news. It's better. Yes.
1: Well, yeah. so before we,
3: before we close out, unfortunately we are, do, our time is dwindling. What is something <laughs> I want us to each share something? One, it can be a small thing, but one thing we'd like to have changed. It can be something very intimate that a man, a woman, a mother, a father, a brother something that we can all as human beings do to just move the needle forward whether it's you know on a, on a wide scale or on just one circumstance by circumstance.
2: Hmm.
3: Anybody want to start?
1: I, I would like to see victims treated with more respect um, and given the the room that they need to process, what they need to yes. go through, um, and also to be given some compassion. Until you've gone through it, you don't know how it feels, just like Lady Gaga's yeah. song. Um, and and so it, I, I think it's crucial for the healing process of our sense of community to be able to include them as people who matter.
0: Lovely. Yeah, and I just Julia. dare you to speak up. It can be something small to a family member or a friend. But silence is not helpful. It's not helpful when there's a sense of fear.
3: Um, and I will close this out with speaking of silence is uh, for young girls like I'm very fortunate. It's really silly to say that to have to say you were very fortunate to have never been raped. But I did have something happen when I was I think 12 years old and I did speak up and it was something as as an adult it was not a big deal but for my 12 year old self who would not explore who didn't have sexual urges or didn't know it was a big deal and it affected me until I was in college yeah. I was so traumatized that I would have men break up with, or boys men break up with me because I was afraid of them and they had never asked me why. And it took, and I was afraid of them. I would close off physically and it took my first serious boyfriend in college to help me work through that. And I don't blame the people I went to for this when I was a kid, but there was a sense of, it's not a big deal and it got brushed off. And so for six years, I had major major problems as a girl growing up and figuring out my sexuality. So if somebody does come to you and no matter the age or no matter the circumstance, not deescalating the severity of what they're saying,
1: finding the compassion and just listening, just
3: listening because again, as an adult, it was something that I would not think was a big deal, but it definitely traumatized me. So that's what I would just hope for people to, if somebody comes to you, just listen and ask how they can help. You
0: don't have to come back and say
3: anything, right? They just, if you just are a confidant, they'll keep coming back to you. And if it's a girl too, Mm -hmm. and they ask you to do something about it, do something about it yes. or send them to someone who will. Absolutely. Yeah. So before we head out, to lighten up the show a little <laughs> yes. bit, um, when when we were going to have Ben in the studio, I wanted to start off and then end the show with, uh, it's summertime, and Ben and I have talked about how I get itchy during summer. I love summer. Yeah. Uh, so what is one place that we would want to go if money money and time had no value, you know, were, we could do whatever we wanted uh, this summer and what would we eat there, given that we are a food radio station. So I'll go first. Uh, very quickly, I actually, when all the places in the world I would go if I could the next month, I would uh, go up to the northern islands of Maine. Cause Ooh. I love hiking there and fishing and being on a, on a lake kayak or an ocean kayak. And I would eat a crapload of seafood. I just got back from Rhode Island and I ate a crapload of seafood there on the water in Newport. Um, that's what I would, I just feel like I need to be in new England where it's cooler and just on the water and it's sort of wild up there. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. The Northern islands of Maine
1: I would go with you. Yeah. You go with yeah,
3: lobster rolls, three meals a day, right? You know, I thought about it. I was like, I should go somewhere exotic in my mind. I was like, no, I just want to go to Maine. Yeah. Well, what about you, Laura?
1: I went. I went exotic. I would go to the Great Barrier Reef. I Mm. love scuba diving.
3: Ooh, badass of you!
1: As a redhead with white, white skin, (laughs) no business. But being under the water is safe, and it and it is one of the most exquisite. erotic things that Ooh. I yeah I love and and of course seafood seafood yeah the seafood. I wouldn't want to catch it myself
3: oh, I don't, so I do I want to learn I, more oh, about no. catching <laughs> no, and taking uh-uh. care of it
1: no no that's fair, I will though. love that's it fair. And,
3: and then and then, and then, then you will not will eat it cat- and you'll come home no, a vegetarian exactly. yeah <laughs> awesome what about you Julia
0: well before the break I was talking about Morocco because I just have an obsession with lamb and they have such a history and I would just love to get lost in their streets and those you know hidden walkways that a car could barely fit in but somehow they find their way um, but I also really want to go sailing just
3: yes. all around. I was in Rhode Island and did not go on a sailboat. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah. Oh summer loving <laughs> and, but here we are in a in a what it, I forget year. what this is called in Brooklyn and like this it. vessel in Brooklyn. This like
1: a little cape. Yeah. It's a little no, art we heritage
3: <laughs> Well thank you both so much for coming thank on you, the Jacquard. show. This yeah. was a really lovely discussion and yeah. listeners you can find Phoenix Rising at phoenixrisingtheplay.org and livinglotusproject.org And their information is also on our website, heritageradio.com. Go see the show. It runs through this weekend and check out their work in general. That is our show for today. Uh, Next week, we have a pre recorded show with hypnotherapist and life coach Iris Higgins on the docket talking about honing our intuition and how it can work to our benefit romantically. Uh, Until then, thank you to our engineer, Pierre, out there. We adore you. Our theme song is Give Love by Josh Dion. Head to heritageradionetwork.org and donate to our summer membership drive. And I am Jacqueline Raposo. And I love you, Benjamin. We will both be back on the airwaves this time next week here at Heritage Radio Network.org.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on Heritage Radio Network.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website